if you would please open up your Bibles to Galatians, Galatians chapter 4, and we will be picking back up where we left off with verse 8, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8, the title today is Concerns of a Pastor, and we will see Paul heart being even revealed even more as he writes this letter to the Galatian churches, the believers living in Galatia area, and, and just in how uh, the heart of a pastor can come out in their writings and their teachings, uh, and we will see that uh, here from Paul. I'm going to read uh, verses, uh, I'll start with uh, actually uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. And verse 7, and we'll work our way in right into verse 8 this morning. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is a master of all. Verse 7, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly element to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. You know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first, and my trial which was in my flesh you do not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you intended? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become an, your enemy because I tell you the truth? They, the Judaizers, as we've been studying here, zealously court you, but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you, that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now, and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. So we see here today, as we continue to feel and to see and sense Paul's heartfelt emotion. Throughout this letter, it's just a pastor, a, an apostle, pouring out his heart into the people that he has loved. Remember, he started the churches in this area. These are Gentiles who had nothing and did not know anything that was going on. And all of a sudden, Paul shows up on the scene and shares the simple truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they got saved. Their lives were radically changed. They were knitted together. There was unity. There was love for him, as we can see in these verses. There was such a love for him. And as they go there, then the enemy is creeping in and changing the hearts of these people to go against Paul and to go against the truth. And Paul is just writing here and just pouring out his heart of what dangers that are amongst the people he loves. And as we have observed in Galatians chapter 1 through chapter 3, we have been listening to Paul the Apostle and his Apostle's view, and we poured that out in front of us. We, then we saw the, Paul the theologian, and he, he wrote and kind of took it from that angle as a theologian to help them understand uh, the ways and the paths they were on were not good. And then we saw Paul the defender of the faith, that Christian apologetic apologists going out there and defending the faith and trying to encourage them to come back to the truth. But now we are hearing Paul the man, Paul the pastor, 
the, the passionate lover of souls. Pastor of many. And we will see in our verses today the reflection of the concerns of a pastor for the people. And as the people Paul has devoted his life to, committed his life to, brings every person to a decision as he writes this. He brings them back to a major decision, a choice between living under the elements of the world or as a son of God. And that is a choice that we all have to make daily. Do we choose to live under the elements of the, of the, of the world, the, the legalism, the, the religiosity that it can be out there, or the, just the world system, the lust of the eye and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life? Is that how you choose to live? Or as like Paul says, and I say today, or will you choose to live as a son and daughter of God? But it's a daily choice that you and I make. God is not going to force you. He will encourage you. He'll even bring ways for you to have escape from the world. But you and I must choose God and his way and not the world's way. And it's a choice, a daily choice. And, and it can be at times moment by moment choices. Oh, you're so good in the morning when you wake up, but then you go to work. <laughs> And you find yourself surrounded by the world. But you must choose not to live like the world, even at work. Oh, it's so easy to live as a son and daughter of God at church. But what happens before and after you leave the walls of the church? It does not change the status of who you are. here in verse 8 but then your previous life then indeed when you did not know God you know your 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 prior BC days before Christ days you did not know God and you served those which by nature your your human nature your fleshly nature you just naturally served those which by nature are not God these were, these were Gentiles. These were paganists. These were pantheists. They, they worshiped multiple gods. The Galatians were ignorant to the one true God that Paul introduced them to. They didn't know there was a one true God. They were in bondage to false gods. Remember, in Acts 14, 11 through 13, they thought in you know Zeus and Hermes, these are who they worshiped. These are who they were in bondage to. Here, these were the false gods that were brought and made up for them to follow and to have, who made those up to control their lives. There was no freedom in following those, those false gods. But here comes Paul on the scene, and, and a great change took place in their lives. A great change took place in their area. And he says, before you even knew God, before the salvation from the perspective of man and understanding there is a one and true living God, you were lost and now you've been set found and been set free. But not only did you know God, but you've been known by God, as we see here in verse 9. But now after you've known God, or rather, are known by God, how is it that you turn, turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? The bondage is natural when we do not know God. When we serve those things which are not God, it is very natural to be in bondage to that. You can be in bondage to a job. You can be in bondage to, to, to all kinds of things such as money and, and, and health and wealth and all of these things. Even yourself, your image of who you are and your abilities can put you in a bondage and not be free at all. But 
now the Galatians have known God, and yet placed themselves, as Paul says, back under the bondage, and this was just amazed Paul. How can you be under bondage on a ball and chain, and there's no freedom, and there's no ability to live? You didn't even have a life, and now you have a life, and you have the ability to breathe and to worship and to understand the true living God. Why would you go back to focusing on the things of false gods or the worldly ways? Why would you go back to that? And Paul is like, you've been set free. Why would you go back into bondage? Paul made a very important point when he wrote, or rather are known by God. It is really more important that God knows us in the sense of an intimate, accepting relationship than it is that we know God. So how important is it? I, you can have these conversations with people and people go, do you know God? Oh, I know God. In today's world, you have to define that. Can you define God for me? Who, who is this God you say you know? Because you'll find as you ask them to, to, to understand, can you explain who your God is that you worship, who you follow? What do you, who do you know? Can you tell me his characteristics? Because if you really know God, then you'll know who he is and his characteristics. And you get that from the word of God. But so many people will sit there and say, oh, and have this very broad God terminology. But when you say, do you know who Jesus is? Have you ever noticed how that's like a, like a, a line that's been crossed in the, in the sand and all of a sudden everything gets squirrely then? Because their God is not the same God of the Bible. They have multiple gods or multiple people who they worship or focus on or pay attention to or devote their life to but not the true and living God. And how important is not only do you know God, but how even more important is it that God knows you? Remember the terrible words of judgment that we see in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 and 23, through 23, where he says, I never knew you. Those are very scary words. To show up and say, I, I never knew you. to know us. Sons and daughters who worship Him, who've devoted their lives to Him, who have surrendered all to Him. They didn't hold on to the world, but then have, oh God, I need, I'm in trouble. Can you kind of come into my life at this moment and take care of the situation and then get right back out because I want to continue to live my life the way I want to live it. That's not how you can live as sons and daughters of the Most High King. devoted life of, of intimacy of knowing who God is personally in our lives. Not through your grandmother. Oh, I know God because my grandmother tells me all about him. Not through your parents. Oh, yeah, my parents talk about God all the time. He goes to church. But I, if I ever have any questions, I just ask dad. I just ask mom. I'll ask my spouse. I'll ask my grandpa. No, no. You God wants to have a personal relationship with you. The Bible says he knows even the number of a hair on your head. He personally wants to know you. The question is, do you recognize him? And how important Paul is saying here, because what has happened is, is they've, as we saw in chapter 3, these Judaizers, these false teachers had came in and permeated into the church and they started changing the hearts and moving the hearts away from the true one and living God and, and bewitched them. But if you know God and he knows you and there's an intimacy of relationship, no one's going to bewitch you. No one's going to cause you to sway and walk away from his truth. No one's going to say, this is more important. There's not, a, <clears throat> there's not one of those moments where it's uh, you know, de deviation over here. Oh, look over here, look over here. Let me get your attention here. So that you, all of a sudden you just tip a glance off and you just start following. And there you are, just fading and swaying away. 
Testament system of religion with these special observances. And we see in verse 10, he told the outlines that you observe days and months and seasons and years. These false teachers were creeping back into these believers <clears throat> and bewitching them and confusing them and saying, you know, you can really have a more of a religious, a religious experience if you would do the following. Just keep the days and the months and the seasons and the years. Paul, of all people, understood this as a, as a, as a perfect example, a poster child of Judaism. He kept all of the things to the T. You remember the special days, those weekly Sabbaths. If you really want the experience, you must keep the Sabbath. If it's the months, it's the new moons. It's a new moon and let's worship. If it's the seasons, it's the seasons of festivities or the festivals such as Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles. We must keep those festivals. Because that's what's going to please God and we'll have that more religious experience. Or the years, the sabbatical and the jubilee years. We must keep those. So these Judaizers are convincing these believers you have freedom and bonds. But you know, you must add these things to you. You must bring these things from the Jewish faith into your, to, your faith to really have that religious experience. But, these, but as they observed these special times, thinking they would gain additional credit, additional merit before God, I'll get more stars in the refrigerator than I can keep my faith. that works could not be added to faith. You can't add your works to faith to just to be justified or sanctified. Those are not works. What Paul seems saying is a means of entering this generation of liberty is Christ. Because we're back into bondage. But that's how legalism goes. Legalism caters and recognizes our flesh by putting the focus on what we achieve for God and not what Jesus did for us. Anytime you're about to do something for God, the focus is on what he is, I'm doing this because what God has done for me, not what I can do for God. I've achieved this for you, God. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go do this. No one else is doing this, God. Do I get double stars? Can I get their star too? Because they're not doing it. And if that permeates in our heads, we must get that out. And you do what God calls you to do. You're just out of obedience. You're just doing it because out of love for him because he loved us first. I'm willing to die for myself and to serve because he first died for me. most reasonable thing for me to do is to turn around and say, just do what he's called me to do and I'll get a reward for it. Because of my deep love and my humility and my humbleness. See, the New Testament makes it clear that Christians are not to order religious observances for each other. Romans 14, 4 through 13. So why is it that the scripture says we should not order these and tell people that they have to observe certain days. What you find across many churches today, that people, the churches will tell you, you must observe certain days. And the scripture tells you how not. That's why so many times, this has been new to us, we'll probably talk about it, so many times people ask me or the pastor Rick, what do you want me to do? Don't, do we, don't we have to have these certain things that we must do? to do anything. <laughs> you can just be still. Just let us know what God shows you what he wants you to do, and let us help you along with it, encourage you in the faith, and, and, and make sure you're, we can support you. Let's be you and the Lord. I'm not going to 
is how you have your goals accomplished. What are the goals of the next three years? I've been in here. I've been keeping track how many Sundays you've been here. Do you know you must keep track of your Sundays here? I assure you, I don't keep track. doesn't mean that I don't miss a fellowship. And I don't notice a loss because I missed a fellowship. So Neil, one of the brothers or sisters, someone, God says, hey, I'm going to have to recount to you and just send you a text or call you and speak to you and say, hey, is everything okay? Just loving you, love you and miss you. Not because I have to, but because we just want to have a desire to come and fellowship. Right? Amen? You don't have to. Check off list. Did you read your Bible every day? Show me your scorecard. Have you been praying? Are you up to 30 minutes a day? No, Lord. I, I'm struggling just to talk to you any day. But then to have a pastor tell you, you need to show me your card? How many times a day you've been praying and reading? We don't collect cards here because it's between you and the Lord. The, 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 the bird box is over there. The God is faithfully takes care of the birds. God is going to faithfully take care of us. So you're not going to hear us say you must show and commit how much you're going to give to the church. That's, that's human error. As you grow and mature in the faith, you're going to say, you know what the scripture says regarding tithing and offering. It's a freedom. I get to love the Lord and give as he leads us. And it's a freedom. And why would you then go back into bondage, Paul's saying? Where the, there's control. These, legal, these Judaizers are telling you what you do and what you don't do, what you keep, what you don't keep. You must give. And everything is lined out, checked off, and measured. And, and oh, you are in good standings here at this church because you've done the following. We don't have membership. Why? Because... If you're a child of God, if you're a son and daughter of the high most king, you're lover of Jesus Christ, and this is where God has brought you, I guess you're part, you're a member of the church. That's how we measure it here. There's no witnesses to be part of God's church. There's no do's and don'ts and shalls and shouldn'ts. We gather together. Verse 11 says, hey, I'm a slave for you. That's what he says. I'm a slave for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. See, Paul's fear was that this attraction to legalism, this attraction to this religious experience, would mean that his work among the Galatians amounted to nothing. It would end up being like almost in vain. The word labored here in the, the original Greek is to labor to a point of exhaustion. He was exhausting himself in pouring into the lives of these people. He was willing to do whatever it took to teach and to train and to coach and to, 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 to serve and to do whatever it took to be for those people. And now there's the sparkly moments of these little religious experience, these little goosebumps are just drawing them away into back into this bondage, and they think they're having a better religious experience. And that's why they end up becoming more like Judaism. They were controlled. And that's why Paul is afraid. You going back and you're going to be coming under control of the, the religious people. These false gods are going to control your life again. Paul worked hard among these Galatians. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul never thought that the gospel of free grace ever met laziness. Paul says, you, you're in freedom in Christ. But that doesn't mean you get to sit around and be lazy and do nothing. What you're doing is you're just waiting for your master to tell you 
who needed obedience and is responding to it. Look at the gospel. I love this gospel. And that's where you see in verse 12 Paul kind of makes a shift and he's he's really tenderhearted here with his brothers. I owe you Become like me, for I became like you. You have not injured me at all. He says, I used to be under bondage of legalism. I was the poster child. I kept it to the T. Right from birth, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I went through all the best training I have felt. To a point, I was even so zealous, as he's going to mention here in our very series. I was so zealous for what I was doing that I was willing to even take people's lives and kill them and throw them in jail over lying. But he came to a point where when he realized the true and the only living God, Jesus was the Messiah. And that he was the one that gives them life. He was, he was the way. As Jesus says in Scripture, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Not by your works. By what Jesus did on the cross for you. And Paul understood that. He let go of religious rules. All the man-made ways to try to reach God and realize God is the one that gives life and it's through Jesus. And he says, I became like you Gentiles where you didn't follow Judaism. You didn't follow me. I now consistently pursue Jesus. I'm in freedom and I'm not in bondage. I freely get to worship and love my God. Become like me. Not me as personally, but my example as I follow Jesus. Just follow me because if you're following me, you're going to be following Jesus too. See, what happened is he shared the gospel. They got saved. They were following Jesus. They were then going, but what happened was is they weren't consistent in their pursuit of Jesus. What happened is he allowed the Judaizers to come in and divert them off the path, and it was a screw moment over here. And they got diverted. Oh. And what happened was is they didn't stay consistent. They didn't continue to pursue God day by day by day and growing and growing, and their relationship maturing, maturing. They decided they want to go back to become more of a tyrant environment, like like law and guardian over them. And Paul is saying, you're under oppression. That's not what I want for you. But not only consistency, but Paul knew that Galatian Christians could imitate his liberty. See, Paul was free in Jesus. And he wanted them to know the same freedom, the same understanding, the same understanding, in fact, that what God had for them. But how concerned must we for him to let his people choose not to follow Jesus as they must? Verse 13, you know that because of physical affirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. So we see in these verses, and we know by the scriptures, that Paul was in the region of the South Galatia area. And persecutors tried to execute him by stoning him in the city of Lystra. And we see that in Acts 14, verses 19 through 20. And his attackers gave him up for dead, if you remember. And yet he miraculously survived that stoning. And many times people think that because of that stoning, 
that was the physical ailment or physical infirmament that he's referring to here in the scripture. But we know by reading and understanding Galatians that he was already in that region when that stoning took place. So this infirmity was not due to the stoning. Many believe because he was down into the lower part of the valley there in uh, uh, Perga, where the malaria was very popular, that he came down with a form of malaria, which affected his eyes, as we see here in his ver- these verses, and also, I think, in, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 11, in the reference of him not being able to see. But there was a, definitely a visual issue with his eyes and not be able... And they say the malaria that caused would be this junk coming out. I don't know if it's a worst case of pink eye or what it was, but it was really bad and disgusting. But he writes here, in interesting, the fact that he says to them, I had no plans to coming up into your area of the country. I was probably going, he was probably going west to, uh, to Ephesus. But because of the malaria or because of the infirmity, whatever it was was causing, it caused him to go to a higher elevation, about 3,600 feet higher to where these people were living. He and the God used his infirmity, his physical infirmity, to move him to another place to be able to share the gospel. Don't be deceived when you hear someone teach that when you come to Christ, you'll get wealthy and you'll never be sick again. That's false teaching. You don't listen to it. You don't touch it. You walk away from it. Because here, God used Paul's infirmity. God allowed an infirmity to come into such a degree that caused Paul to be moved to a place where God needed him to be and share the good news with the people. And he's saying, because of my infirmity, I preach the gospel, the good news to you the first. You're the first time that you've ever heard it. And look what happened to your life because of that. Verse 14, and my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Imagine. Your life has changed. You've been chasing things, the drugs, the alcohol, the pornography, the job, the wealth, the prestige, your looks, a plethora of things that we can chase in our flesh. That the abuse that you went through as a child doesn't define you. The drug that gripped you, you can be free from that and it no longer defines you. You have never heard that before in Scripture. That you could actually be free from the lust of your eyes. From the anger that seems to control you everyone around you. And you can be free from that lust. Is that not what the gospel comes down to? Is, can you remember the day of salvation when you gave your life to Christ and you felt like the hundred pound gorilla was finally off your back? That you could breathe freely? And that there was no expectations other than to pursue God and to know Him more in an intimate way? going to go to the shore, don't cause any scene, and then I'll give you something good like a candy. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Our whole life. We go to work, we get paid. We go to work, we get paid. We don't go to work, we don't get paid. We're all, you know, it's a very simple concept that we figured out. But the problem is
where did we get that same cause and effect type mentality into the church, into our relationship with Christ? you can earn it back, then is it free? No. It won't be a free gift. You can freely receive it. But the treasure is here every moment in your life. Because it is free to give in Christ. See, Paul says, the heart of good news is even though I look disgusting I didn't have the I didn't I didn't have the robes I didn't have the special voice and this because remember his Paul's voice was really squeaky and didn't have quite the oracle kind of the voice he was short little Jewish boy you know man I should say a little Jewish man he was not that great looking and then he had stuff draining out of his eyes how many of you would show up Sunday after Sunday if that was what I looked like? But thank God, Paul didn't have to look a certain way before people could receive him. He didn't have to have a certain stamp or certain clothing, gold watches, flying orbs. whole persona of disciple where people would think, oh, now that is a religious person. That is Christ-like. We're not looking for a man. We are looking for the Messiah, Christ in Jesus. Paul says, you receive me. You didn't despise me because of what I looked like. You didn't re reject me because I came from Jerusalem. But you received me like I was an angel. Like, I was an angel. You just saved my life. God has brought me an angel. You must be Jesus Christ. Are you the Savior? Remember, even the apostles were even were questioned. Are you Hermes? Are you Zeus? No, 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 no. We're not any of these. We're just vessels that God is working through. Don't put your eyes on me. Put your eyes on Jesus. The sad thing, verse 14, what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked your own eyes and given them to me. You had such a love for me, Paul says. You were sitting there and you were staring at me and you saw the challenges and the stuff coming out of my eyes and the pain and the suffering and you loved me so much because of what God has, was doing through my life. You, you were willing to pluck your eyes out and give me my new eyes so I wouldn't suffer. That is love. That's sacrifice you were willing to do for me. What happened to that joy? What happened to that joy? What happened to that blessing? What happened to that relationship between us? Now you're walking away from the truth that I've been speaking. You're turning to these other Judaizers, these other men. Why would you walk away from the relationship we have? And as a pastor, he was concerned that people would turn away from that relationship that was bonded. That God, God brings you into people's lives. Did you know that? He brings people into your life and he brings you into people's lives and to use them in your life to help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And because these Judaizers must have looked good, smelled good, and had these little fun things and these experience, and it just pulled them away from Jesus and put them on to these works-related 
Christian believers in the West Church in this room. Do you want to know if someone's in legalism? Caught into religiosity? Just spend some time with them. You will not see the joy. And you will not see the their first love. They left that close relationship with Jesus and they put their eyes on man and his righteousness. And that's why he said in verse 16, have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? See, Paul was on a man's heart. He could see what was happening. He watched these people do it. These people were starting to chase the latest and greatest that's out there. Number one selling book author. Great sensation on Facebook. The one with the mega churches. The ones that seem to draw the big crowds. Got the greatest music for smoke. We're going to add smoke here someday, so don't worry about that. lights, not sure they're bad. I'm just saying, if that's what you're chasing to get your your experience, you're chasing the wrong thing. And because Paul's not a man pleaser, and he will tell you the truth, it's because he loves you. Somebody who loves you will always tell you the truth. They'll tell you the love. started, and as I said, man, have I become your enemy? I even, I want you to know that I've kept your eyes on even in your own eyes, because you love me. And now you're going to turn on me? How grieving that is as a pastor, when someone has poured their life into your family, and kept you to the core, because they've been deceived by the enemy. here in verse 17. Paul says, they zealously court you. These Judaizers are courting you. But not for good. For yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always. And not only when I am present with you. So Paul says here, do you recognize these Judaizers, these legal, legalistic kind of people are permeating in here and they're zealous they are very focused to court you. It's like a, man, a, 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 a boy and a girl. And the guy wants to court the girl. He is going to figure out how to, to win her over. Is he not? Guys are hunters, man. They're going to figure out how to get that gal. They're going to court her. They're going to show and to lead and to show how his feelings are toward her and to figure out how he can win her over so that she would become his. And he's zealous, is he not? Oh, I've watched many young men. Oh, yes, I've watched men. But the question is, are they zealously courting separate you from me and from Jesus and to get you excluded out get your eyes on them and what their ministry is what they're doing by my book listen to me don't listen to anyone be exclusive to me those are signs of someone who's legalistic you must be a man 
and any if you could see if if a guy is courting a gal and that guy starts excluding her from the family excluding her from others who love her her friends and say you can't see your friends you can only come and just be with me and trying to purge her away that is a wolf shepherd, I just take my big old hook. No. <laughs> but do you know that's what cults do? Cults come in and they do what they call love bombing. They'll come in and they will overwhelmingly show attention to you. They overwhelmingly support you. They'll overwhelmingly show affection to you. Because they want to get you to such an to, to, to knit to them so closely that they've got your attention that you will then base your livelihood or their your ability to function or think based on what they think and what they feel. Again, sign of false teaching. And you must be aware of those that do that. Yet it isn't really a sincere love for the prospect, is it? They only do this, uh, this love bombing until they've got you. Until they can link you in and hook you. And once they've got a hook in you, once they've got you devoted to them, then they just use you for their purpose and for their personal gain. That you must be aware of. Because that is so cunning to cultivate today. It is scary to see and to watch. Because that's what we will do in culture. The word exclude means to lock you in. They're going to court you, guys and gals. They're going to court you. They're going to annihilate you away from Jesus and from me. And then they're going to start demanding that you serve them. They're going to start giving you the list of things you must do if you're going to stay in this fellowship. You must do this. You're not a member. You must do this. You're not a member. You must do this. You're not a member. You must do this. Paul says, no, you have freedom. No, you serve the Most High King. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And that, you are a son and daughter of the Most High. You've been adopted into the family. And that's what God wants. And then he finishes up here in verses 19 and 20. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I have doubts about you. And I love this as a pastor. I love this pastor's heart. Because Paul's sitting here going, wait a minute, the people are leaving me here. They're over here chasing here, chasing I'm done here. I'm done with these people. I'm going to pack up. Let me take the whatever I can get. I'm out of here. I'm going to the next town. Did he do that? See, a shepherd would never do that. Shepherd doesn't sit there and take, take, take and get what he can. And once he's drained you, he says, I'm done. I'm off to the next one. Some bigger, uh, bigger uh, uh, herd of sheep. That's the word I'm thinking of. More sheep so I can get a bigger, bigger bunch. I am committed, Paul says. I, my little children. You're going back to being a child? You're going back to the being a in bondage? You're going back to the basic stuff? Okay, I'm okay with that. You're like my children. I'm going to be like a mother. I'm going to continue to labor. I've already pushed you out once. Can you imagine, ladies? Okay, you pushed out that 10-pound baby. You got to do it again. 
No, you don't want to have that happen. But Paul says, I've labored for you, and I labored for you, and guess what? Because of my love for you, I'm willing to labor in I do it for my Lord, and he has called me to labor for him. And so that labor and birth again in his life is found in him. Until you are able to exceed and proceed on the truth of God, and to be in Christ is so formed in you that you not walk willing to labor over and over and over until Christ is formed in your soul. That's your job, not mine. That's not my job. You know that, right? I'm here. God uses me to help. But you're the parent. You're supposed to labor until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, I relentless and I would like to be present with you now. He had thought, oh, I, that means he wasn't there present. He was somewhere else writing this letter. I want to be present. I don't want to just talk. I want to hear your voice. I want to see your eyes. I think that's one of the dangers that I see coming. That people say, I don't need to be in fellowship. Even though the scripture says, do not forsake the fellowship. And you think it's okay just to watch a screen and to watch it from a distance and you'll get your church on, online. I want to be close to him. Like Paul, I want to see your eyes. I want to, I want to give you hugs. I want to, I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to, be, I want to see you. Because the text doesn't tell me everything. The email doesn't tell me everything. And you know the Satan is right there to confuse that email and that text. You sit there and you send a text. You say, oh, I really miss them. I love them. You send a text. Hey, I'm thinking of you. And there's Satan on the other end going, oh, they don't think you're coming to church enough now. Look at this. They're checking up on you. Enemy's always looking to twist the text and the email on you. are a two-way communication. I always told the girls, come, I want to look in your eyes because I can see in the eyes I know. And you know what happens every time that happens? If something wasn't right, those eyes are everywhere else except in my eyes. says, I want to come back to you. I can see into the depths of your heart. I have mercy. I want to help you. I poured my life. I labored for you. Because I hope that you will know. And that's our prayer. Father, as your word, mercy to us. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, the unconditional love for us. And as Paul is writing with this tender-hearted pastor letter to these people he loved so dearly, in that time, you sent out a begging letter not to turn away from them, your people. Not to turn away from even Paul as he poured his life into them. religious experiences, these, these, these diversions away from the truth, Lord. May that not happen to us. May we be in your word. May we be talking with you like it says, breathing, just constantly just checking in and checking up and listening with the stillness that you have for us to 
Congregate, this is a church congregation. We're standing up for each other. And we just pray for them to grow through the intimacy and be so sensitive to your voice. And then you speak to them. But you would also equip us and protect us and help us to raise up children to to, to care for one another as husbands and wives and, and to our neighbors and our coworkers and those who are lost that need to be found, Lord, may we be vessels that you can use, prepared to go out and share the good news. Give them a hope that they don't have. The freedom that you have to share the gospel. The love, the, 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 the deep love that you have. Thank you for this day. And thank you for your people.